Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about extensions of time. Today's uh, subject falls under PC5 of the Part 3 criteria. So what do we mean when we say extension of time under a building contract? So contracts tend to have an extension of time clause whereby the contract specifies a fixed completion date for the project. So if the contractor fails to complete by that stated completion date, then they're liable to pay liquidated damages to the employer to compensate for the delay. So we covered liquidated damages um, the last few episodes. Um, So there are instances, however, that the delay was not caused by the contractor and the delay is due to an event outside of the contractor's control. It is in this case then that the contractor can apply for an extension of time. So under such uh, cases, the liquidated damages are postponed by the length of the extension of time. Uh, If the contract, however, doesn't make allowance for extensions of time, the contractor may claim that time is at large, as it's known, and that they have the obligation only to complete within a reasonable time, which results in the client losing any right to claim liquidated damages. So the extension of time clause sets out which of the parties take the risk when there is a delay on a construction project, and if the client takes on the risks of the delay, then the extension of time is granted. If the contractor takes the risk, then the extension of time is not granted. So who is responsible for reviewing and granting the extensions of time? So these are typically done by the architect or a contract administrator, which reviews and grants the extension of time under typically the standard building contract, which is what we'll be focusing today. Uh, But under uh, design and build, the employer's agent takes that duty unless the client specifies otherwise. And under the management contract, the employer's representative carries out the client's function, including granting extensions of time. Now, let's look at instances when extensions of time uh, are applicable under the standard forms of building contract. So the contract form would have a list of what's known or the relevant events that can form the grounds for an extension of time. So the relevant events um, is a list of items that could delay the contractor and for which the client has taken the risk. So one of these is a sweep up clause allowing the architect or contract administrator to award extensions of time but they must always make certain that the proposed extension falls within one of the relevant events. The sweep-up clause in essence covers any impediment, prevention or default by the client causing a delay. So it's a useful clause to cover potential delays caused by the client, which are not covered by the relevant events. For example, if the client decides to defer position of the site for more than six weeks. So let's cover what Um, typically include relevant events. So these uh, typically are uh, potentially any variations uh, to the project, 
uh, made by the client or someone from the consultants. Another one would be exceptionally adverse uh, weather conditions or uh, civil commotion or terrorism. Uh, another event is failure to provide information. Um, this can be from the consultants or subcontractors. Uh, delay on the part of a nominated subcontractor. Another event is statutory undertaker's work. Uh, delay in giving the contractor possession of the site. Uh, force majeure, which means events that are beyond the reasonable control of a party, such as a war or an epidemic. Uh, another event can be loss from a specified peril, such as a flood. Uh, another event is supply of materials and goods by the client being delayed. Uh, national strikes, uh, any changes in statutory requirements, and any delays in receiving permissions that the contractor has taken reasonable steps to avoid. So relevant events are set out in a number of the JCT contract forms, and each, each have slightly varying additional or less conditions. So if you want to learn a bit more about those, then I'd um, recommend reading up on the different forms of the JCT contracts, uh, just to see what each one contains uh, in terms of the relevant events. Uh, it's also worth noting that it's vital for the client to recognize that any act of prevention on their part can be deemed to be a relevant event under the building contract, which uh, as a result allows the contractor to claim an extension of time. So this is because of what is known as the prevention principle, whereby the client has prevented the contractor from performing a particular obligation under the contract. So next we have, um, what is the process in obtaining an extension of time? So what would occur would be the contractor issues a notice of delay to the architect or the contract administrator, and they must then decide and determine whether any of the delaying events constitutes as a relevant event in order for it to qualify uh, for granting the extension and for how long. But before doing so, the architect or the contract administrator needs to establish whether this affects the completion date in general for example, if the contractor experience adverse weather conditions, which may not cause a delay at all or impact the completion date. So they might claim for an extension of time, but at the end of the day, it might not be needed. So to be applicable for an extension of time, the event recognized by the contractor as the cause of the delay must be a relevant event, which will also impact the completion date to be delayed. So as I mentioned earlier, if, if they believe they can overcome um, the adverse weather conditions, for example, then they shouldn't apply for an extension of time if they think they can claw back the time. So the contractor will also use the relevant event not only for an extension of time, but also to claim for loss uh, and or expense. So this is deemed as a shared risk between the client and the contractor. And one cause for extension of time commonly used by contractors is receiving late information from the consultants or the architect. So what typically happens to prevent uh, late information? The client, together with the architect, the contractor and the consultant team, should agree on an information release schedule, also known as IRS, 
which should be drafted at the beginning of the project, setting out dates when the information will be released and what will be provided. So if for any reason the architect or other consultants can't provide the information in accordance with the IRS, an agreement can be reached with the contractor and the client that will be issued um, at a later date. But this will, of course, um, cause delays and issues. So that's why it's wise to send the necessary um, information and set the correct times in the beginning, putting uh, realistic dates into the IRS. Uh, in the case that there isn't one, the architect is still responsible for providing information at the time the contractor would reasonably require. So a way to make sure this happens in a timely manner, the architect may make regular requests from the contractor at uh, site meetings for a list of further information that will be required in the near future so it can be provided to the contractor on time. So if the contractor has an accelerated program, however, unless the contractor states otherwise, the architect is not obliged to provide the information to suit the contractor's accelerated program. So another instance that allows an extension of time is with regards to CDM regulations. Uh, for example, if the principal designer raises a safety issue in relation to the design, which uh, could take time to resolve, or if there are issues to accessing the site safely. Now, there are some risks and events that are covered by insurance. Uh, these are referred to as specified perils that can be used as ground for an extension of time. So specified perils are typically set out in the standard building contract as uh, covering fire, lightning, um, explosion, a storm, a flood, uh, any escape of water from uh, a water tank, uh, an apparatus or a pipe, an earthquake, um, aircraft and other aerial devices, or articles dropped uh, therefrom, uh, a riot uh, and a civil commotion. Now, when it comes to the granting of the extension of time, the architect or contract administrator should assess uh, the situation and consider the specified perils, ignoring the insurance's position in deciding whether an extension of time is justified. So if um, any of these events occurs, you'll obviously have two um, opinions from the insurance company that is insuring the site. Um, so the contract administrator needs to make a non-biased decision whether an extension of time is indeed uh, required. So what should the delay notice include uh, to enable the extension of time? So the contractor should give a notice when it becomes reasonably apparent that the progress of the works is being or is likely to be delayed. So the notice of the delay should be given in writing and to the correct person. Uh, the notice under the standard building contract uh, typically includes the material circumstances the cause or causes of the delay, any event that the contractor considers is a relevant event, the expected effect of factors identified in the notice, and an estimate of extent of the expected delay. Uh, so other forms um, of the JCT contracts have uh, different requirements. So again, I would um, encourage you to familiarize yourself with those. But generally, it's sensible to request the information and to set um, a reasonable time limit for its production 
and it is up to the architect um, to specify whether the information should be provided in a particular way. Uh, supporting information to the notice should also be provided as soon as possible uh, to enable making an accurate assessment of the delay. So once the architect or contract administrator has all this information, they must then make an award as soon as is reasonably practicable. Uh, and the periods of the decision may vary between the different contract forms. So again, um, have a look at those. But if for any reason the contractor doesn't provide the architect or the contract administrator with the necessary information, it is expected that the architect or contract administrator will have the necessary knowledge and understanding of the process uh, to be able to determine the impact on the progress of the events. But generally, the, um, these are the information that the contractor needs to include within its uh, delay notice that should be issued to the CA or the, or the architect. And then they will make an informed decision of whether an extension of time uh, should be granted. Now, what happens if two instances for delay occur at the same time? So these are known as concurrent delays and they are one of the most difficult aspects of delay for an architect or a CA to consider when assessing an application for an extension of time. For example, a delay may occur due to extremely adverse weather conditions, and at the same time, a variation instruction might have been issued or requested by the client. So under such circumstances, the contractor will want to know if the architect or CA will grant an extension uh, of time for each occasion and what time will be allocated to each delay. It's at that point that the architect and the CA under that scenario will have to state which relevant event has been taken into account and what period has been allocated to each relevant event when there is more than one involved. The key consideration to take into account with concurrent delays is whether both events are actually causing a delay to completion or only one of them is causing a delay. So once an extension of time has been issued and granted, a non-completion certificate will need to be issued stating that the contractor has failed to complete the works by the contract completion date. So the non-completion certificate is a precondition to the client's ability to uh, levy liquidated damages and the client must give notice to the contractor before the date of the final certificate, stating the required payment of the liquidated damages. So to sum up what I discussed today, construction contracts generally allow the construction period to be extended in cases of a delay that are outside the contractor's control. This is expressed as providing an extension of time, and when it becomes apparent that the a delay would merit for an extension of time, the contractor is required to provide written notice to the CA or the architect, identifying the relevant event uh, causing the delay. The extension of time can then be granted by the CA or the architect if they deem the delay does indeed fall under a relevant event. So where a delay is caused by an event the contractor is not responsible for, an extension of time clause will provide for the extension of the completion date, as a result reducing the contractor's liability to liquidated damages. If there is no extension of time provision under the contract, in the event of a delay 
for which the contractor is not responsible or at risk, the completion date will fall away and time for completion of the works will be at large. If time for completion is at large, then the contractor is then obligated to complete the works within a reasonable time. The contractor's issue of delay should be in writing to enable the architect or CA to consider it and grant the extension of time if applicable. Failure for the contractor to give such notice is technically in breach of contract. The architect or CA should obtain as much information as possible from the contractor to assist in assessing the requirements for an extension of time. If the architect or CA, when assessing an extension of time, does so negligently and fails to exercise independent judgment, they can be potentially sued uh, by the contractor. Uh, relevant events constitute a list of those items that could uh, pay the contractor for which the client has taken the risk. Uh, as a general rule, the architect may not fix a completion date earlier than that given in the contract particulars. So that covers what we've discussed today, what we've ran through in terms of extensions of time. Um, but as always, I like to provide you guys with a scenario to put what I just went through into context. So today's scenario is that we are uh, architects and CAs on the job and we are not happy with the brickwork um, on, on that scheme. And we've asked for the contractor to remove all the brickwork um, to the ground floor specifically and start again. So we then asked the QS to emit the costs of all the brickwork from the next valuation. The contractor didn't mix uh, the packs well enough on site uh, with some odd shaped bricks uh, coming out at different sizes, uh, recessed joints and uh, very messy with um, messy and miscolored mortar uh, joints. On top of that, we also noticed uh, some white mold uh, on the bricks and the client is very, very um, unhappy and dissatisfied with the outcome. And they have sent our practice uh, a letter uh, requiring our attention. And the contractor has informed that he requires a formal architect's instruction, which uh, us as a practice are reluctant to issue and feel it's not required. So typically under the terms of the standard building contract, um, we can request removal of work, which is not to our satisfaction. And our specification refers to relevant British standards, but we may have been slightly quick to react to uh, the contractor's work. So you are then asked to forward your thoughts and any comments to your manager in terms of how you would uh, go about resolving this issue. So we can respond back to um, the manager saying that um, it is very troubling that the quality of the brickwork isn't to the standard we would like it to be and that the client isn't happy with it either. So you can then say that after evaluating the situation, uh, when it comes to the brickwork, um, we 
and using the standard building contract, we can indeed inform the contractor of our dissatisfaction with the materials um, or any goods or workmanship within a reasonable time from the execution of the unsatisfactory work, which we have done so. We have informed him within um, a reasonable time frame. So we are not required to issue a written instruction and can give this as an oral instruction, but it may not take immediate effect, but the contractor um, can confirm it uh, to us in writing um, that they have received that instruction. Although it has been brought to our attention that the brickwork has been um, as specified to the corresponding British standard, that doesn't excuse the poor workmanship um, with the odd-shaped bricks, uh, messy recess joints and the variation in the brick mortar. So we can advise that we acted correctly in requesting that the contractor starts again. It would be beneficial at this stage to refer to the contract and identify the workmanship requirements stated within it. And if the works are in accordance to those requirements, then we may uh, reappraise the situation of the brickwork. Uh, then you can continue to uh, write to your boss saying that um, prior to the contractor commencing this work, did we request uh, a sample of the finished facade? Were any previous tests carried out um, that we are aware of? Um, and did we allow for such tests to be carried out within the contract sum, then we should um, have instructed the contractor to carry these out uh, and that the materials are in accordance with the contract. So if the laid uh, out brickwork is in accordance to those tests and the contract, it may remain as is with minor remedies to remove the white mould, for example. If the works, however, are not in accordance with the contract, then we may issue an instruction after having consulted with the contractor, uh, whether requiring a variation or not for the contractor to carry out and remedy the works. Under such circumstances, no additional sum uh, shall be made to the contract sum and no extension of time shall be given. The contractor theref therefore will have to restructure uh, their construction program to allow for the instruction and make up the time in other works to complete uh, on target and on time. Uh, then you can continue uh, pointing out to your manager, uh, checking if there was a planning condition to be discharged uh, with regards to the external materials. If so, did we issue the necessary materials uh, required to discharge the condition? And was there a requirement to have sample panels made to be reviewed by the local authority for approval? Um, from what uh, we know, um, there wasn't any such samples uh, made and we will have to reevaluate the planning permission and corresponding planning conditions to provide for such samples to discharge the condition. Uh, then we should also check if the brickwork specification has been reviewed by a building control officer and if they were happy with our specification that it meets the required criteria of the building regulations um, 
relevant to those materials? And does the building control officer believe the workmanship meets our specification and building regulation seven? You can then uh, conclude to your manager saying that we would recommend um, to reappraise the items um, that we just uh, went through before formally issuing an instruction um, instructing the contractor to remove all the brickwork and to emphasize the importance of supplying samples as soon as possible, which we can compare with the laid out brickwork uh, to the sample, which uh, should be in accordance with the contract specifications. Uh, if the workmanship is still not to the standard we would be happy with, then we should inform the contractor of the next steps. You can then recommend to your manager that we also write uh, a letter to the client reassuring them that we have taken charge of the situation. Uh, within this letter, you would in essence say that um, they should be rest assured that we are taking all the necessary tests and inspections uh, within the next few days to determine the workmanship of the brickwork and that we will be working um, closely with the contractor to determine the error of the process through the preparation of sample panels of the specified materials, um, meet what was specified within the contract. Then we will determine uh, with the contractor of the necessary next steps to move forward, avoiding delays and further expenditure. And if the samples are of similar quality to the set of brickwork, then a simple cleaning process may only be required to achieve the required quality. But then you can mention to the client that um, if the brickwork um, is not in accordance with the contract, additional expenses and time are not an option and the contractor will simply have to reevaluate their construction program to achieve the completion date if they want to avoid compensating uh, the client for liquidated damages and pay for non-compliant work. Then uh, we could continue by letting them know that we have instructed the QS to remove the cost of the brickwork from the next valuation until this item is resolved in case new materials need to be sourced um, with an equal quality and price range to compensate for the other brickwork used uh, in accordance to the contract bills and to determine the workmanship is in accordance with the specifications, we will verify the standards by testing, inspecting mock-ups and samples um, alongside the manufacturer's uh, certificates to make sure that the brickwork is to the standard required and as per the contract documents. So we can then um, close off reassuring them that within the next few weeks, we aim to be constantly visiting the site to supervise and monitor the ongoing process to ensure it's going as planned. And as CA, we will carry out our duties to avoid any expenses or loss towards uh, the client and provide a seamless progression of the works to achieve practical completion on time. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only 
and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.